Welcome to the True Vine Podcast. Wherever you are listening, we hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and brings perspective that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. While you're standing, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings 4 and 1 through 2. Now, there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor has come to take him unto him, my two sons, to be bondmen, to be slaves. Verse 2, And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what hast thou in thy house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. I'm going to break this down in a minute. Lift your hands one more time if you would. God, right here, right now, let your word speak to us. Open our ears, our hearts, not just to be hearers, but doers of your word. For me, myself, my family, and every house represented here, God, anoint me to bring your word to to God's wonderful people, to your chosen people, a holy people, a separated people. Unto you, Lord. Feed us this morning, God, with your word. If you receive it, would you put your hands together and say amen. High five, high five your neighbor as you're seated and say, glad to see you. In re- when looking back, when those people that survived the passing of a loved one, it's enough to deal with the loss, but to compound that pressure, it's the undone that always adds to the situation. From the preview of the scripture we just read, it seems that a few thousand years have not taken away the sting of financial stress. In those days, however, though, the remaining debt was left to be paid by the family. There was no chapter 13 bankruptcy. The law made provision to the lender to recoup something by conscripting the children to slaves. Such an act was common in those days. What we would think is horrible was common, especially among the poor who had no way, absolutely no way to pay their debt, to pay their balances. No way to pay it off with physical means. It was common practice. What the law would allow those creditors to do and take the sons of the widow. And she, they were obviously close to the prophet. And these boys will work until the debt is paid or until the year of Jubilee. But the fact doesn't lessen the burden. She knows that her boys will work and may never get married. They will never have anything. They may miss the age of, to get married. The law offered them no respect and no pity. These stories are real stories of people. Look in our history, teachers and leaders and different ones. Consider the moment of the day, a widow, a mother, and she knows the law. She knows that her sons will give such a huge portion of their life for nothing. The anguish of her moment. 
Perhaps the time the debt would be paid in full, their youth would be gone, vanished, fleeting. Marriage would maybe come or maybe not. A long pause to would they ever have children and build a family. Going to live meager, meager, live in poverty their whole life. The conflict isn't that her husband wasn't a just man. He just died too soon. Gone without reconciling matters at his home. He was a man of God. Yes. But his issues survive him. Maybe business wasn't his strong suit. And I don't know if they had life insurance. But death swallowed up all his plans. And the law prepared his family to be taken siege when he was gone. I stay here for just a moment. His anointing offers no reprieve for living. It should have been enough for the prophet to be a prophet, but it just happens that tragedy befalls the just and the unjust. It almost appears here that Elisha, though, is looking for a physical solution to a situation that's impossible. For a moment, the mighty prophet who did so many wonderful things, saw so many miracles, is looking for a common solution to a devastating prophet, to a devastating situation. The prophet was filled with so much power and anointing. This prophet who once said to the lame man to be healed, the leprosy to become forth. The prophet who said to the Shunammite son to come back to life. And now for a brief moment, this prophet looks confused like something he's searching for. Elijah hears the story, though, and he asks the widow something in, in the scripture that kind of stood out to me this week. In other narratives of what it says, it says, the prophet asked her, what do you have left? Do you have furniture? Do you have an heirloom? Do you have, what do you have left? The prophet asked her this question, what do you have left in your house? Is there anything of value left in your house? Is there some artifact that you can sell? Is there some furniture left? Is there anything? Elisha wants to know the conditions of her means. Maybe he wanted to know how much effort she was putting into paying off the debt. Or maybe he wanted to know if she had skin in the game. Is your house full of things you can sell? Have you done anything in your situation? I don't know for certain, but this morning a lot of scholars think that she sold off her possessions by design or depletion. By design or depletion, there's nothing left. Biblical tradition speaks about this moment in the life of Elisha. Some write that the widow has sold off everything she had in an effort to keep the creditors at bay. She was trying to save her children, desperately save her sons, though the things she sold were not enough. The debt was too high for her to pay. She couldn't recoup and couldn't get ahead. And her answer reveals much. She says, I have nothing. I have nothing. All the items, when you get married and you have children, you, the house just fills up with stuff. And she has sold everything they had. Through all the years, all the years of stuff they've accumulated. If you, don't, if you just let your backyard go and let your kids just play with toys, you come out two years later, it'll just be full of stuff. And they had all the garage sales they could have. There's nothing left. I've gotten rid of it all. Everybody in my family loves a garage sale but me. 
Every year we do a garage sale or two. I don't even know. I can't keep count. And for weeks, this sweet lady over here is going through the house, getting everything she can that we don't need. I hear her, the kids go through your toy. We're going through all the toys. If you haven't played with it in two weeks, it's going out for sale. <laughs> there goes the Xbox, and there goes the PlayStation. <laughs> and the kids, she, not tricks them, but you can have some of the money from the garage sale. So they get everything. <laughs> they get all their stuff together. At first, when we first started, they didn't like it. They would, they would, after they put, they liked getting it all out there, but then when people started to come and people started to shop their stuff, they would go out and say, no, that's not for sale. And they'd take it back in the house. And I reluctantly, and this is, she'll tell you it's God's honest truth. I tell her, look, I, I have no part in this day. No part. I don't put out signs. I don't pick up signs. I I sleep in that day. And you can have all $5. I'll give her 20 to not do it. But reluctantly, the day of, I go down and I, I usually go find some clothes, something. I'm like, oh, I haven't worn those shoes. I just dump stuff out in the front yard. And she probably gets 50 cents for it. But I get rid of it. But in times of want, when the bottom drops out, people do more than just get rid of things they don't want. In times, in desperate times, calls for desperate measures. And they do so to emphasize this, that if, if it was us to save your daughter, to save your child, or to save your spouse, or to save your parent, we would give up anything. We would sell anything we had. We would cash out our 401ks. Why? Because I would do anything to save the life of a loved one because I can't bring them back. Which one of us today wouldn't sell everything we have to save somebody we love? Many people have done a lot of things to save people, get people from going to prison that was unjust. They've, they've put, taken out seconds on their houses and $150,000 in lawyer fees. Why? Because they wanted to keep their son out of prison because he didn't do something. And they never got the money back, but their son never went to prison. People do anything. at some. There are some things more valuable than money and rubies and diamonds. Read your history. Families have sacrificed and given up possessions to save people. People falsely accused. And this widow's no different. She lost her husband and she cannot lose her sons. Do you feel her pain? Her life has been turned upside down. It's chaos. It's chaotic. It's frustrating. She's going through depression of losing a, her husband. And now she's about to lose her children. The last thing she can afford is loneliness and nobody there. So the question is, what do you have in your house? Seems to be the question from the prophet. He asked her, what do you have in your house? So first, what does it mean? What have you done? What have you done? What have you sold? Have you done your part? And secondly, what do you value? Hang on with me. I'm going to get there this morning, okay? She has done all she can do. She didn't wait around thinking somebody else was going to solve her problem. She did everything she could. She sold everything she could. She wasn't looking for a handout. She wasn't looking for just grace and mercy. She was looking for a word. Not everybody anymore is looking for a word. 
it, it's kind of convoluted in our modern church. People want motivational speeches and they want momentary inspiration. But I'm here to tell you, you don't need inspiration. You don't need a motivational speech. This morning, you need a word from God. We need a word from heaven. If I wanted a motivational speech, I would go down to San Diego and I'd sign up for a conference. But I came to church because I need a word. Why? Because a word from God has no expiration date. Once he gives you a word, it's going to come to pass. And if you haven't seen it yet, it's still coming. There's no song that says, I see a promise coming down that dusty road. I'm here to tell you, God gave you a word when you were a kid. It's still there. It's still coming. The promise is still coming. Your ministry is still here. You're still standing. Why? Because God gave you a word. And before you accuse me of being cold-hearted, I want you to understand this. When did we as a church culture quit seeking God for a word and start starting GoFundMes all the time? See, I'm drifting far from our American culture and our American mindset. It didn't take us long. We're missing something so valuable and so vital. And that is this, that you got to get a word from God. The prophet asked, what's left in your house? That's a question. What's in your house? What do you, what's in the way? Have you ever seen somebody, you go to sweet grandma's house, but there's just a little trail because she's got so much junk. Some of us are like that spiritually. What's in your house? Well, like it's a little crowded here and it's a little cramped here and it's a little, it's pushed over here. Let me help you a little bit. What's left in your house? What's of value to you? Let me read something. Drakey, put, the, put my title up for a second, Drake. Let me read you the NIV. Here's what the servant said. Elisha, your servant, that's what she says. Your servant has nothing. There's nothing in that house except some oil. I have nothing. Nothing means final. Empty. Gone. There's nothing in my house. The beds were sold. The mattresses were sold. The sheets were sold. Pictures were gone. Frames were gone. There's no more stuff to eat. Everything is gone except some oil. Except implies what she values. I kept everything except. (laughs) You can get rid of that, but I have to keep this. If the house catches fire and you got your family out and you're running down the stairs, what is one thing you're going to get? That's what you value. A picture, a family Bible, something sentimental. You keep that which you can hold that you can't replace. I can get a new fridge. I can get a new bed. Go to the next slide, Drake. Get rid of the things that does not matter. Keep the things that you value most. Abandon what is taking up space in your life and appraise what you cannot live without. So Elisha is asking, what do you have left? Nothing reveals my effort. If we can't say nothing, we haven't put in the time. And here's the next word, except reveals what I value. Nothing reveals my effort, except reveals my value. It's the pivotal preposition right there. I did not sell the oil. I sold everything else, prophet. But I didn't sell the oil. Elisha, I made every attempt to save my sons, but I'm keeping the oil. 
I got rid of everything near and dear to me and I sold off everything I could and I got rid of keepsakes. I sold my tables and chairs and all my comforts, but I kept the oil. Why the oil? One thing I held back, one thing that remains, something of the highest value, something money cannot buy and the owner cannot sell. Among the 200 biblical references of oil, the connection between the oil and the Holy Ghost is undeniable. From anointing priests and kings to anointing prophets and altars and stones and tabernacles and temples and more, the oil is the clear, definitive metaphor of the Holy Spirit of which Samuel anointed David to be king. He poured the oil on his head and then after the oil rested on him, the Spirit came on him. Here's your Bible. Listen, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day forward. The oil of anointing was the commitment, the commencement of the presence of God. Oil was used for more than just food. It was the means by which anointing was given and the spirit would come. And I preach to you today from a loving heart. When you strip away all the things that come and go in your life, there's one thing you've got to keep. You've got to keep the Holy Ghost oil in your life. You've got to keep the oil fresh. You've got to keep the anointing fresh. You've got to keep the spirit hot. I hope you came for a word and not for a motivational speech. Because you've got to keep the oil. You've got to keep the Holy Ghost. You've got to keep it fresh. You gotta keep it real. You gotta keep it hot. You gotta stay in the altar. You gotta. Why? Because when this world's gone, when everything burns up, the Holy Ghost is gonna be real. Our value systems are crowded, it's complicated. But it's time for the Holy Ghost to take precedence over everything in our life. Yes, I know you got to work. And yes, I know you got to commute. But you got to make the Holy Ghost precedence in your life. Do you feel what I feel here today? Do you feel what I feel? I feel the Holy Ghost here today. I feel for a second here. Hold on. Grandma and Grandpa, Mom and Dad, you got to quit letting your kids not know about your testimony. Because we're losing the third and the fourth generation Pentecostal kids. Listen, don't, don't just listen real quick. Here's why we're losing them. Because they don't know what you were delivered from. Because they're living in your blessing. They don't know that you used to drink every Friday night. They're living in the blessing of a family that's having dinner every night and the Holy Ghost is there. you got to tell your kids, no, daddy was not good. Daddy messed up. I used to drink and I used to smoke and I used to run around, but God, but God, I wasn't the best high schooler. I was out there goofing off and messing around with girls, but God, why? Because the Holy Ghost is real and I don't want to lose the next generation. They got to know that you were saved from a hell. You were saved from devastation. You don't glorify your past, but you glorify God. You got to tell them this thing is real, baby. You got to stay in church. You got to stay in this thing. You got to keep the oil. You got to keep the oil. 
sell everything else, but keep the oil. Sell everything else, but keep the oil. Somebody praise him right now. Somebody praise him. Keep the oil. Keep the oil. I'll give up everything else, but I'm keeping the oil. He found me in the miry clay, baby. And that's why we're here. And that's why we're staying here. Holy Ghost in the house. It's all right, Sister Belin, let it go. That's the Holy Ghost, that's the oil. It's real. It's real. You come too late to tell me this thing ain't real. I was praying in tongues this morning. This thing is real. I was praying in the Holy Ghost this morning. This thing is real. You came one day too late. The difference between a family with no peace is the Holy Ghost. The difference with a family with no love is the Holy Ghost. The difference between a family with no reconciliation is the Holy Ghost. The difference between a family with no forgiveness is the Holy Ghost. The difference between real freedom and depression is the Holy Ghost. It's real. It's real. I know it's real. In the end, if you ain't got nothing and all you got is the Holy Ghost, you got everything you need. See, I thought after the pandemic, baby, we hand me my water, I'm sorry. Pastor, I did not keep my, behave myself, my apologies. I thought by now with the pandemic, everything we went through, everything going on in Ukraine, everything going on in Russia, that America would realize that there's only one thing that's going to remain, and that's the Holy Ghost. That's the Spirit of the Lord. I thank God we got this building. I thank God we have this place. I thank God we have security. I thank God we have a great sound system. I'm thankful we dedicated this house. But if this place is just a full of people and it's absent of the Lord, it is empty. If it's full of us, but not full of Him, it's an empty building. You might as well go to the ball game. You might as well go to Disney. You might as well go to SeaWorld and hang out with Shamu. But I came for a word from the Lord. I came for this Holy Ghost experience. Because I got to keep the oil. I got rid of everything else. But I'm going to keep the oil. Take my job. Take everything else. But give me the oil. See, the children of God of Israel had a tabernacle. Holy, dedicated. I got to take my watch off. It thinks I'm falling. It does. I didn't fall, Siri. I'm okay. Don't call 911. They had a tabernacle. Furniture. Dedicated. 
But you know what they did? They knew that gold was just cheap metal without God. When the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud would sit, they would sit. When the cloud would go back, they would go back. The pillar by day, they would move. By pillar by night, they would move with it. In the middle of the night, if that pillar of fire started moving, they would get up and move. Why? Because they knew they had to keep the oil. They had to keep the presence of God. They had to follow the presence of God. Here we go, here we go. Two things always reveal what people value. It's what they say. It's where they put their money. See, we can have a church service without God. We can. We can sing and we can have lights and we can have a good time and come together and say kumbaya. All we have to do is think about ourselves and our preferences and it's too warm, it's too cold. If you're married, you know it's like that every day. I turn it down to 60, she turns it to 80. I go back to 60, she goes back to 80. We get in here and it's all about our preferences. But when I open up scripture, Exodus 33 makes it clear. Listen, I have time to go into every verse here. Moses went up to Mount Sinai and he received the tables of stone. Remember the law? And down below the children of Israel are down there making a mockery of God's provision. Brought them out of Egypt. They're down there. Moses up there spending time with God. Israel's fallen into debauchery. It didn't take him long. Moses comes back down, gets angry, breaks the tables of stone. He draws a line in the sand. It's chaos. It's like America. Don't think it's just new here. The whole scene is a mess. So Moses goes back up to the mountain. And God says, Moses, I brought these people out of Egypt because I made a covenant with Abraham. And he implies, it's not about them. I made a covenant with Abraham, not them. It's about Abraham. God said I would give the land to his children. But these people are stiff-necked. God says, nothing I do for them is good enough. Nothing I do pleases them. I've done all these miracles. I did all these wonders. I've done all these signs. And they're not happy. Watch now. God said, Exodus 33, 2. And I will send an angel before thee. I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Does anybody know what's wrong there? Keep going. Onto a land flowing full of milk and honey. I will not go in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. Moses takes the news back to the people who are not distressed. God commanded them, take off all your jewelry, all your ornaments. And Moses said, I'm going to decide what to do with you. But the word of the Lord messed up Moses. I feel like he couldn't sleep, Brother John. Because he, he knows this, God is not going with them. God said, I'm going to send an angel and I'm not going. And Moses goes back and talks to God. He said, Lord, 
You're the one who called me. You're the one who told me to lead these people. You're the one who said you knew my name. You, God, said I found favor in you. You are the one, Lord, who told us to conquer the enemies. But Lord, oh God, I have a problem with the angel. Verse 33, 15. Moses said to him, to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us. The angel is no replacement for the Lord. I will tell you what the modern church needs. We need the Holy Ghost. We don't need a representative. Please don't misunderstand me. I have a pastor and I sit under, 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 under him and submit to him. He is my shepherd. We have a shepherd, but we need a Holy Ghost experience in this room. I have a bishop in Chula Vista that I answer to, and I sit under submission. So it's not about that, but you got to have a whole... You don't just need a representative to speak to you. You need the Holy Ghost to speak to you on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday. We are the Pentecostal church. We are the Holy Ghost Church. We are the Book of Acts Church. It wasn't born in a building. It wasn't born in an organization. It was born in the Spirit. A lot of people are content with a representative, but they don't have the Spirit. I want to be led, and I have powerful leaders, but I got to get rid of everything. I got to get rid of everything. I got to push everything aside. I got to get rid of everything except the oil. Our families might disown us, but I'm not letting loose of this Holy Ghost. Our nation might oppress us, but I'm not letting loose of this spirit. The LBG 18Q, whatever might come after us, and I'm okay with that, but I'm not letting go of this Holy Ghost experience. I'm not letting go of the oil. While I appreciate God's representatives, there is only one who can take me through the fire. There is only one that brought me out of the miry clay. There is only one that picked me up when I messed up and then when I was down and out and when I was depressed and when I was discouraged. That wasn't you and it wasn't you and it wasn't you. There was only one and that's why I'm protecting the oil. That's why I'm keeping the oil because the oil, the Holy Ghost is what saved me. Let me explain one last thing here. What happened to the oil? It never depleted. That story, it goes on to say, the oil never depleted. You're low here today. Guess what? The oil isn't depleted. It won't run out. There's enough for you and you and me and you and you and me and you and you. And I can keep getting refilled and refilled. And I can keep getting miracles. And I can keep getting sea hinds and wonders. I keep getting healing. Why? Because it's the same spirit that was in him. It's the same spirit that's in us. This, this Holy Ghost that we have is no different. It's not a separate God from Jesus. It's not a separate God from the Old Testament. It's the same God. He was in the Old Testament. He robed himself in flesh. He came to earth. He died on a cross and he rose again. And for 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, this thing fell. It didn't happen in a church. It didn't happen by a government. It fell. And it's still here. It's the same God. Same God, same spirit.
The same spirit, different vessels. As many vessels as she brought, it would fill. As many vessels that are here today, there's plenty of oil for you and there's plenty of oil for you. It's not going to run out. You just got to want it. You got to bring a vessel today. And you guess what the vessel is? My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Let me take you to Corinthians. It's not this building. It's this body. Inside here resides the Holy Ghost. Bring your vessel today. Bring your vessel and let the Holy Ghost just fill you again. When's the last time, Daddy, you filled with the Holy Ghost? When's the last time, Mommy, you spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance? What am I telling you? I'm not giving up. I'm keeping everything. I'm getting rid of everything, but I'm keeping the oil. I'm keeping the Holy Ghost. Because we can't get so cool and so relevant that we don't see people's lives changed. People don't come here to feel good. They come here to be changed. And I got to keep the oil. I got to keep the oil because I want to see people's lives changed. I got to keep the Holy Ghost here because I want to see people delivered. I got to keep the Holy Ghost here because I want to see people filled with the Spirit. Look, I'm not afraid of alcoholics. I'm not afraid of drug addicts. I'm not afraid of homosexuals. I'm not afraid of lesbians. What? They're vessels that need the Holy Ghost. What did Paul tell us? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, Holy Ghost. Galatians, he says this. This I say, walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. To the church of Rome, be, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the If so, be in the Spirit of God, let it dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, you are none of his. He goes back to the church of Galatia. Are you so foolish, having begun in the... Are you now made perfect by the flesh? If you begun in the Spirit, then you've got to end in the Spirit. That is the Word of God. If you've begun in the Spirit, you've got to end in the Spirit. You've got to walk through it in the Spirit. You didn't get God through intellectualism. You didn't get it through a college degree. You didn't get it because you're so good looking. You got it by the Spirit. You didn't get it because you were so put together that you had it all together. You weren't some model out in New York City. No, you got this by the Spirit. And you got to go through it in the Spirit. And you got to end in the Spirit. And we're going to go in the rapture in the Spirit. That's right, lift your hands. Lift your hands, that's all right. We begin in the spirit. The oil is the spirit. If you choose to downsize everything, don't give up the spirit. Don't give up the oil. I got rid of everything. Accept the oil. God, get rid of the junk in my life. Get rid of the trash in my life. Get rid of the distractions in my life. Get rid of it. But I got to keep the oil. Come on, musicians. Keep praying. Keep praying. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul, the writer of 13 books, 
the evangelist, the apostle's apostle, the man with revelation, insight, and wisdom. He never married, but gave God's word to families and husbands and wife. He said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Come on, walk in the spirit. I'm living in the spirit. I'm praying in the spirit. Get up in the spirit. Spend the day in the spirit. What's happening in America? What's happening in our churches? We're conflicted. We're convoluted. And we're not walking in the spirit. Walk in that spirit. Walk in the Holy Ghost. At some point, our money's going to collapse. At some point, the government's going to come. We got a window of time, a window of opportunity, and we got to live in the Spirit. We got to occupy in the Spirit. If there's one thing I beg of you, don't lose, and you can't get rid of, it's got to be the Holy Ghost. You ought to talk in tongues in your bedroom. You ought to talk in tongues in your kids' bedrooms. You ought to talk in tongues in the hallways. You ought to talk in tongues in your kitchen. You ought to pray in the Holy Ghost in your car. I know this is a little unusual, but I just want you to lift your hands. I want you to speak in your heavenly language. Operate in the Holy Ghost. Keep the oil. Lift your hands, lift your hearts. Lift your voices to God. Yes, yes, yes. Let your spirit come right now, God. Let your spirit come right now, God. I'm talking about walking in it. I'm talking about living in it. I'm talking about operating in it. I'm talking about dwelling in it, in the spirit, in the spirit. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can visit our website or church app if you would like to give. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe, like and share it with your friends, and tag us on social media. Because we want to witness with you what God is doing in your life. Thank you and God bless.